Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. The AMA has a July panel on burnout. Irony of ironies, it's the very CPT codes. They license at the heart of what's causing it, but let's listen in to what they said. If nearly two-thirds of the PCPs are saying they're battling burnout, that can't possibly be related to individual weakness on the part of physicians, said Christine Sinsky, the AMA's Vice President of Professional Satisfaction. I've never heard of that before, professional satisfaction people. Rather than fixing the worker, we need to focus on fixing the workplace, she said. Given the current burnout rates, a system with 1,000 docs is investing $13 million annually replacing doctors. Not because of better jobs, but because of excessive stress, she said. So let's talk about this. What burnout exists in healthcare has been fixed in a 30-year-old model that is nationally scaling and seeing physicians join at 31.8% annual rate the last five years. That's against 1.2% annual rate in legacy care, just the last five years. That's direct primary care. 90% of jumbo employers are planning to add it, says Willis Towers Watson in their last survey. And 83% of employees want it once they understand what it is, says Hint Health in a survey last year. 20,000 white coats are in it today, and that's by my estimate, because they're serving 23 to 25 million members who are now part of this movement. We get that number from interviewing the CEOs and CMOs on this show, and that's what it adds up to. And 3,000 imaging centers and 640 surgery centers are in the movement, too. Now, all the labs and all the diagnostics and most specialists prefer cash pay universally. Employers are really driving this growth, 99% of it, as 81% of Jumbo's over 1,000 employees are self-funded, and most will be buying care direct and free of these extractive entrenched big middles. This is in full alignment with two of their aims, which are better outcomes and lower costs, both by 20 to 60%. But this hits seven aims, and we've talked about that extensively on the show, so we're not going there. The direct care, again, is either cash-based or per member per month, like direct primary care, which is the foundation of this new house and this entire ecosystem. But here's what it's not. It's not coding. It's not billing or collecting. It's not volume-centric, for sure. It's not burnout, because that's eliminated when you dump the codes when you dump the volume-centric model. Concierge is for the upper crust. This is basically concierge for CEOs all the way down to dock workers. An administratively burdened? No, it's not that either. See no coding above. A narrow definition of primary care, it's not that either, because in fact, primary care is just expanding in the direct model into behavioral doc health because that's what the employer is asking for, especially mental health. Whole health of the employee is something our guest today knows something about. And it's what employers want. They don't want the old definitions of what primary care used to be, even though if you talk to a PCP, they say mental health is 60, 70, 80% of what they do every day. It's also not friction in either money or time because it puts the consumer at ease from waiting rooms, EOBs, surprise bills, medical bankruptcy threats, weeks to schedule co-appointments, 
hours sitting in rooms waiting for a doc. It's free of co-pays, deductibles, denials of care, and waiting on pre-offs and prior offs. And the 15-minute factory vibe is completely wiped out because most of the exams are 30 to 45 minutes. Sometimes first exam will be an hour, hour and a half because the panels are only 500 to 1,000. Virtual only providers, they have larger panels, but they're still getting all these benefits because there's a few of these providers we've interviewed that are just through virtual. We never have a shortage of docs and they're not paying giant sign-on bonuses like they are with some of the other models out there because people are literally standing in line to jump into this model. So we've never really had an efficiency problem with DPC. It's solved by this virtual care that's bundled into the entire model. It's not something we have to add in or plan around or design around. It's just built in. So you're going to count seven winners of seven aims. Okay, I have to go there. Happy docs and nurses, happy consumers. I've learned from today's guests, we don't call them patients anymore. Happy employers and payers, happy communities. There's three massive side benefits we've talked about before, and we'll do it again. Happy shareholders, costs are dropping, outcomes rising. And if you throw in schools into the mix, which are in Texas, we have 150 schools diving into this model out of 1,200. Colorado is another hotbed. Florida is another hotbed. Schools that are jumping into this direct care model. Now you can add parents and students. So we have nine aims with schools. These are all measurable, tons of case studies, dozens of leaders interviewed here on these shows, and seven companies has good case studies on this show with a CEO. Companies all the way from 350 up to 17,000. So I live in a future where everybody wins. Doctors have new worth. Excited to have him on the show. Has a new book out called Beyond the Walls, Megatrends, Movements, and Market Disruptors. Book proceeds are all going to Feeding America. Follows up his great book called Reframed Healthcare, which woke me up to being a proactive consumer with agency versus a passive reactive patient and a paternal doc-patient relationship. His podcast, Creating a New Healthcare, has not just thousands of listeners, but the right thousands of listeners, listeners like you. Wonderful to be with you again, Zev. Ron, what a pleasure. I follow you, listen to you, read you, and agree with you. And so, and I think I'm, you know, what we're going to talk about and what I've written in Beyond the Walls builds on what you've been saying and working on. You have an opportunity like I do to meet the most interesting people in healthcare and the people that are at the forefront of changing everything. So I don't need to ask you like who influenced you most. It's in your book. Right. <laughs> it's in right. your last book. Mm -hmm. So let's take this book a piece at a time if we can. Healthcare is on the move. There's a reframe going on and it's going from the clinic walls and the hospital walls to the consumer's daily life walls. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Ron, if it's okay with you, I'd like to step back even before I dive down into, into what you just said and you know, the beyond the walls metaphor, I think, speaks to everything you've been, uh, you know, working on. We live and have been living in the dark ages of healthcare delivery. Um, it, it is literally like these old fiefdoms with the, you know, walls, the stone walls around them and, and the heavy gates and, and the moats around them and these fiefdoms and, you know, literally medieval thinking, medieval concepts, uh, legacy approaches. And, I think that that metaphor is absolutely apt. And at the same time, we we have, I, I believe we are on the verge of, of leaving the dark ages and entering into an age of enlightenment in American healthcare, a renaissance of healthcare in America. And I say that, and I'm so hopeful and so optimistic about it because we have so many examples 
of what's right and what's working. And, and that's what this book is about, you know, dozens and dozens of that, those examples. And, and I think for me, the, the most important part, and it connects back to the, you know, the whole direct primary care, direct to employer movement. <clears throat> there are three domains that have to have to be in place for us to enter into a renaissance of American healthcare. The first domain, and, and we'll, we'll dive into it in, in a second is what you just described is sort of the digital health revolution and, and, that is an absolute must. It's a necessity. There is no other industry, no other industry that has transformed itself without going through this digital health revolution. Think about the way we do banking, finance, travel, commerce, communication. I mean, just on and on, every industry, retail has been transformed through a digital health revolution. And the same thing is about to happen. Uh, it's already well underway in healthcare. And so we have to embrace it and accelerate it. The second domain is around, which actually is part three of the book, is around the systemic changes. And this is, I think, very much where um, direct primary care, direct to employer, really different business models, different platforms, different collaborations and partnerships, that's the systemic beyond the walls. We have to embrace and accelerate that. And, and we're running out of time, as you point out. And and all of those those two things are in service of, I think, the most important beyond the walls domain, which is the humanistic movements in healthcare. And there are a number of humanistic movements and narratives. We have to hold that central. And so, you know, look at the way we take care of seniors in our country. It is abysmal. The system does not recognize that an 85-year-old with 12 medical problems on 25 medications is not the same as a 35-year-old who walks into your office. And yet the system has nothing in place to actually really make that happen at a systemic way. Look about, you know, women's health and on and on and on. Look at disparities in, in care. And so I do think the humanistic movements in healthcare have to be front and center. Now, going to the digital, this this is the great enabler. In fact, in the book, I say there's, there's no such thing as digital health because all healthcare is digital. We may not even realize that, but all healthcare is digital. And in fact, it's going to change so much in the next three to five years. I don't think we'll even recognize healthcare. And I mean, I really mean that. Um, I think I've talked to some experts now. You will not walk in to an operating suite or be wheeled into an operating suite that doesn't have digital analogs, that doesn't have digital connectivity to that surgeon. They're going to, it won't be like surgeons after the fact, they go back and they see, how did I do over the last month or the last year? Uh, uh, uh. The digital technology will be literally guiding surgeons and their teams as they're operating. They're going to get real-time feedback about how they're doing um, and, and guidance in terms in terms of what they're doing, literally how they're moving, how they're operating, and the same thing is actually going to be true in clinical exam rooms, where we're going to have these digital analogs that are listening, not just to the provider but to the patient, and um, and and bringing in a whole health, whole person perspective. You know, it's not that like you and I have had to do in God. You know, if we need to look something up, which by the way, everyone needs to look everything up all the time. The, the the knowledge base in medical care doubles every 72 or every 73 days. There's no way you could stay up to date. And so we need the machines not to dehumanize and depersonalize because that's not what they're going to do. But if you had a machine, and think about this, 
you know, an AI analog could literally be listening in and pull all the data from all the medical knowledge and give it to you in a matter of milliseconds, as opposed to what are you going to do? Look it up uh, on up to date. And, and how many times a day could you do that? And so let me jump in there. Let me, yeah. let me ask you a question. Okay. Yeah. The way I see this virtual care is just kind of the 1.0, mm -hmm. the old Uber, you know, the old Amazon, right. the old, uh, let's call it the old, yeah. uh, the new one is going to look like if I'm wearing a watch or a ring right. and I'm getting off a data exhaust and my That's doc right. is seeing that in my care plan and I'm following mm -hmm. all the right models, all the, my, my movement, my sleep, my stress, uh, eating's a whole nother matter, but all of that is now reflecting I'm on the green mm -hmm. zone and I'm doing everything correct. Yep. I don't get a call, but if I stop and I go yellow light or red light, I get an intervention maybe by a low level and maybe mm -hmm. by a higher level as it gets more chronic, maybe it goes into the red zone. Who is doing that? I was excited about Babylon Health until they imploded. Who is it, who is doing that today, Zeb, that you think might own the health graph, like Amazon owns the shopping graph, like Apple owns the phone graph? Who, who's going to be the platform you think to win? I think, you know, so in that digital health revolution, I think what you're talking about is what we're skating towards. You know, I agree with you, virtual, the telehealth, which everyone sort of has that in mind, these sort of synchronous, you know, when you have a doc on one side and a patient on one side, that's, that is literally 1.0 or not even 1.0. And, you know, we, we're getting to the point where, we're, look, we're now with the most complex patients, um, literally hospital level patients, we're seeing care being delivered in the home. The care is not as good as hospital care. It's better. And let me just say that very clearly. It is better than hospital care. There's lower mortality, lower readmission, lower complications, um, lower errors, lower costs. So the care we're delivering at home, hospital level care, complex chronic care, where we're using remote patient monitoring, asynchronous monitoring, as you're talking about, um, real time interventions happening. Uh, you know, so that's happening with the sickest of the sickest people, you know, and, and it's happening in people's homes. We're seeing complex chronic care, post-acute care, acute care, sniff care being delivered in the home. So that's already happening. There are there are multiple companies that are doing that and they're getting better and better each and every day. And again, I think for the people who need this sort of monitoring the most. Now, I think where you what you were just talking about is exactly where we need to go. And there's some companies that have been forging that, you know, in chronic disease management. So you have the Livangos that were, were literally doing what you say, instead of the you know, person with diabetes, you know, waiting weeks or months to go see their doctor, showing a few, you know, glucose numbers on a piece of paper and the doctor putting their thumb up in the air and saying, oh, I think you should do this with your insulin or your medications. Uh-uh-uh. You know, with Livongo, they had AI-enabled technology that was literally monitoring you if you had diabetes every time you checked your sugar, you know, two or three times a day, you know, doing exactly what you just said, which said, hey, Zev, your sugar is a little low. This is the first thing you should do. This is all automated, by the way. And this is what you should do. And by the way, the machine actually knows how to get in touch with me because it's actually been following me. It's been doing A-B testing. So the machine knows that I won't respond to an email. I will only respond to a text or I'll, I'll only respond to a phone call. It's letting me, alerting me, telling me what to do, exactly what you said. And then and then it, it actually elevates that and escalates that message to, uh, you know, to a professional to say, hey, we just got this thing from Zev, you know, call him up, check him out, you know, make sure that that sugar gets back to normal or adversely if the, you know, the sugar's high, you know, the same thing happens. So we're seeing that sort of technology already in acute, acute care in chronic disease management. 
And I think it's going to make its way to what you were talking before about. And we already we already have examples of this, like the aura ring, you know, where people literally I was just talking to a colleague who is in healthcare who wears a ring and they get and gets monitored for her sleep and for her mood and all this. It's changed her life. It's literally, literally transformed. In fact, I actually said to her, you you look phenomenal. I mean, everything about you, your energy, your skin, your your voice, everything. What is it you're doing? And she said, I'm wearing this ring. It's monitoring, you know, so many things about me and it's changed my lifestyle. And so I think you're right. This is, you know, the the thing about this too is, and I think it's important, Ron, is that, you know, this is one of those, you know, dark ages concepts we've got to get over. It cannot be that human beings do everything. It cannot be the doctor does everything. It just, it, does, it won't work. The doctor can't spend two, three, four hours a day, you know, looking up things and then writing down notes and doing all that. It's got to become automated. Have you had Verda, Verda Health on your show? I don't recall if the, those, that Verda? team is, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, okay. I, I actually worked, I was working with Verda before they were Verda. Sammy Inkinen is one of my favorite leaders in, in I've ever spoken to. Um, yeah. yeah. What about them? Cause I, I agree they're no, I, I don't see anybody else that's showing five-year numbers that even after six months, they're they're with large scale, they're backing up their uh, Indiana data. I mean, there's nobody that seems like Verda out there that is looking at and solving the problem of deprescribing uh, insulin and other medications for diabetes like they are. And of course, if you can do it for diabetes, you can do it for everything. Yeah. You know, Verda is, is amazing. And, you know, they use, as you, you know, they use a, um, an approach using the ketogenic diet, low carb, high fat diet, again, super, super evidence-based. They work with some of the, the leading scientists in the country, uh, research researchers who have been doing this work for decades. And so it is totally evidence-based, totally science-based and, and just, you know, clinically evidence-based medicine. And, and on top of it, they then embed that in, you know, with an amazing care team and surrounded by uh, incredible state-of-the-art technology, thanks to, to Sammy's background. And and um, so I think they're a great example of using a different approach, using essentially diet to do exactly what you said, which is to really reverse, um, you know, diabetes. And, you know, I, I know they've gotten a lot of pushback and, and, you know, people have, you know, people say, well, what do you mean reverse? And, and we could debate that and all that sort of stuff, but let's just be clear when, you know, this, this epidemic, uh, and it is epidemic, right. Of, of diabetes, which is ravaging the country and ravaging the world. There, there are some countries that have over 25%, one out of every four people has diabetes. And you have to ask yourself a question. Um, was, is that just the way it is? Are, are we just, is that the prevalence of diabetes? The answer is no, no, because when, when we were in training, we didn't see type two diabetes. At least I didn't in my internship see type two diabetes because, you know, it hadn't really existed in the way it has now with the prevalence. What's really created it is lifestyle. And, you know, it's that high carb diet. Again, I don't want to get into the whole thing with the food industry, but the the low fat, high carb, um, you know, thing that you know went through the food industry. I mean, I don't, I don't think from a nutritional perspective that's correct, and a lot of scientists would agree at this point. In fact, we can get into that whole story uh, about where that came from. But, but you know, I, I think that really what's what's created the epidemic is lifestyle. And so, to your point, you know, here's a company that's taken a, a, an approach using lifestyle, using nutrition. Um, using the state-of-the-art technology and automation to really help people reverse and eliminate um, a disease that quite honestly is a man-made lifestyle disease. And so 
yeah, I agree. Listen, I, you and I so will also probably can admire a few of the value-based companies out there like ChinMed. They're mm-hmm. doing it right. But ChinMed has just had a big overhaul in the last three weeks. And uh, uh, the, the Chin family is not out, but they are certainly more so out there on the, they're involved as owners, but they're no longer managing a family business. They now brought in uh, the vice or the president of, uh, of United Health. And he brought, he's bringing his team in. So they're bringing big corporate types in that maybe, or maybe not as aligned with their mission, but they're, this is what's going on. And I worry, here's what I worry about, Devin. I'm, I'm bringing this story up for a reason. I worry the Chen Meds and the Verta Health of the world are going to ultimately have an exit. They're going to recapitalize or they're going to sell their company. And then a giant company is going to come in that's going to bring them back to uh, the medieval days. Do you worry about that? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I don't. I mean, you know, I'm an internist by training, so I worry about everything. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm a New Yorker, so even more so. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I, yeah, of course. I mean, I think we have to be very, very cautious about, you know, about these sorts of things. Um, you know, I'm hoping, look, I'm, I, I tend to, as you know, uh, I tend to look at the positive and I, I do that because, uh, it's, it's, it's really the, the, the way you succeed. Right. You know, even, even stuff like I was just, God, I was just talking to, uh, I brought my son for a driver's ed and the instructor said, um, you know, d- don't look at something at the side of the road. Don't look at that dog or cat or person because where you look is where you go. You, you know, and, you know, I remember I used to ski uh, before I had kids. I did a lot of things and um, I used to ski and we used to do you know skiing in the woods and the instructors there said the same exact thing. They said, don't look at the trees. If you look at the trees, you're going to run into a tree. Look at the spaces between the trees, plot out that space between the trees. And that's exactly where, where you look is where the skis will go. That's where you go. And that that sort of notion, I call it, it, well, it's called positive deviance. So I look at where success is and I look for that path of success. And I think if we follow that, well, actually, that's the way out of this this problem. The thing that surprised me most in your book is you picking the VHA as a model of innovation. That just, mm-hmm. like, just like the patient person consumer blew me away. I, yeah. feel, I must have studied that chart for hours because it just was so right. The right? VHA is yes. a model innovator. Tell me about yes. that. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, I just interviewed someone else from the VA. Every time I talk to someone at the VA, I am blown away. They, The VA is the test kitchen for innovation in American healthcare, bar none. There is nothing I have seen come close to it. And part of it is because they have that payment model, which allows for innovation. So it's, it is a capitated model. And so they're, go, you know, they're not trying to do more surgeries or, you know, sell more medications or prescribe more referrals or, you know, anything, do more caths or anything like that. They don't have that, that incentive at all. And so, you know, they get a certain amount per vet and they're trying to figure out how do we optimize the resources we have. And by the way, their vets stay there for life. And so it's not like, you know, the insurance carriers where people leave and jump to other insurance carriers. So the insurance carriers don't want to invest in their members because those members are going to be leaving. They're set up in such a great way, in such a great business payment model that they want to do nothing but invest in the optimal care for their patients, for the vets. And so that sets them up. And then on top of that, they just invest in re, you know, in research and innovation and carrier design. And even, I mean, they have a center for performance and payment innovation. It's called, I think I'm saying that correctly, CPPI. I didn't even know it. Did you know about that? I never. never heard of it. Oh my God. 
it's like CMMI on, on steroids. And mm. they literally have amazing clinicians and amazing scientists and researchers and product developers and technologists. And they are completely, even though they're advanced in terms of their payment model, they are taking it even beyond that. So they're innovating payment models. They're doing, I mean, who knew that the VA was deploying a national whole health movement? Who knew that? And I just happened to find out about it, interviewed them repeatedly about it. And I, as you know, devoted a whole chapter in my book to it. And then I'll tell you this funny story. I interviewed Dr. Ben Kligler and I talked to other folks who were involved with it. Zeal Care, that is a, a company that spun off out of some of that work, uh, doing whole health uh, for polychronic patients. And, you know, um, I called uh, Ben up and I said, hey, listen, VA has a whole chapter, this whole health thing in, in my book under the humanistic section. And I said, this was January of this year. I said, anything new I need to know about? And he said, Oh yes, Ev. Um, the Surgeon General just wrote a report on our our whole health movement, and he basically outlined it. And he said this should be the cornerstone of all American healthcare, including our public, uh, you know, health policy. And I said, Oh my God, you know, that's great. I'm going to have to include that report. And he said, Oh yeah, but not just that. I said, What else? He said, Oh, the Institute of Medicine, the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, NASM. Um, yeah, they just published a 406 page report on our whole health movement in the VA. And they recommended to Congress that not only should Congress expand this within the VA, they should set up a national center within CMS focused on whole health and whole health research. And this should be deployed across the nation in the private sector as well. And I said to him, oh my God, I've got to now rewrite the entire chapter. And, you know, and it was the head of the World Health Organization who also commented, right? And so, oh my God, this stuff is happening. We see the right things happening. My question is, and I even asked this to the expert I spoke to who's who's working within the VA and at the Center for, for Payment and Performance Clinical Care Improvement. I said, how come we don't know about this? You know, how come CMS and, and HHS isn't like tapping into you and like, showing the world what's going on there and and starting why aren't we starting to spread some of this great work and i i think you know he said you know hey we're we're actually doing that we're heading in that direction and that's what makes me hopeful is we actually have exemplars going back to chenmed and verda and and you know again the private sector and 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 vc and you know i'll say this and again i'm i'm being positive here cuz i really actually think that's the way to go it's still better it's still better than what happened even if chenmed gets sold off um I imagine, I, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but I imagine they've created an unparalleled model. I mean, it's actually been recognized as the best care model in the country, not by me, by others. And this is this is what we were talking about before. They recognize that taking care of seniors is not the same thing as taking care of others. There are unique issues there. You need a different care model. You need a different approach. They've created it. They've honed it. They've demonstrated over and over and over again, decades, that it actually works. It's better care, more human care, more personalized care, lower cost care. It's the right thing to do. There are others that have sort of emulated them or doing something similar so that we know what to do. And you know, I think they brought in some of these big guns. They've corporatized because they knew now is the time to spread it. You know, they've actually created it, now spread it. So good for them. They brought in people who, and again, Chris Chen and his brother Gordon, these guys are brilliant, brilliant. And they're brilliant businessmen too, not just brilliant clinicians and brilliant leaders. They're brilliant businessmen, but they don't have that experience. And I kudos to them. God, what you, you want to talk about leadership and integrity? 
I think I suspect and again, I haven't talked to Chris or Gordon recently. I suspect they did it. Uh, it probably pained them to give up their baby, but I expect they did it and and stepped aside because they knew that they had created something that needs now to be shared with the world and they needed the type of operational leader that actually has done this before and knows how to do this. And okay. oh my god, I I my heart goes out to them. I bow to them in terms of that level of leadership integrity to make that move. So I don't see it as a negative, uh, you know, Ron, I actually see it as a positive. So let's talk a little bit about the Nuka system in Alaska. Have you had a chance to get them on your show? I have not, but it they're on my list. I would love to. They are to the Indian nations what Chen is to the seniors. Mm -hmm. They're the shining, you know, house on the, on the mountain, shining, mm -hmm. gleaming house on the sea. They're uh, truly a model to follow. And you, I'll be happy to introduce you to get them on your show because they are a terrific interview. Great story. Um, let's talk about another model. Do you, have you talked to the Rosencare people? Yes, I've, I've talked to Harris Rosen a, a number of times and interviewed him. Yeah. Okay. And your thoughts on that? Uh, amazing. Amazing. Um, I interviewed him, one, about what he was doing in the communities in Florida these poor communities and how he's transformed these communities. Um, and I could talk to you about that. It, it, he was decades ahead and he still is uh, of anything else I've ever seen out there in, in terms of turning communities around. And he did it through just such a simple, elegant thing, which was education and it is self-sustaining and it's brilliant. And that's when I first met him and he's improved you know, everything, health outcomes, employment, a financial status, uh, just turn these, these communities around. And then for his own employees, um, he realized, and, you know, hotel workers, a lot of, you know, new immigrants, a lot of Medicaid, you know, these are not wealthy or, or middle-class, you know, folks from, from a financial perspective. And, you know, he realized they were going to be decimated by healthcare needs and healthcare costs, and they wouldn't be able to afford it. And so he created a healthcare system. It was, he, he's so straightforward about it. And he said, you know, it makes sense from a business financial perspective for me to actually create the healthcare system and wrap it around them. And that's what he did. I mean, so he actually sends when one of his workers, uh, first of all, he has an onsite clinic and uh, which is, you know, a whole health clinics. It's it's not just, you know, giving people medications for blood pressure or whatnot, but it actually takes care of whole people and people, you know, you know, have full access to it. But, you know, if someone's sick at home, um, his, his team travels to the home to take care of them. If someone goes into the hospital, his team goes into the hospital and acts as a patient advocate and family advocate and health coach for them and does the, all the, you know, the discharge connectivity and getting people back in the home safely. Again, he it was so simple, so straightforward. People need to hear that story because it, it is such a great example of a, a significant business. It's not a small family business. This is a large hotel chain in Florida. What he did with employee health and you know direct, uh, you know, in some sense, it's a kind of a direct primary care model, but it's it's a comprehensive model as well. Yeah, and the crime is down eighty percent. Oh um, one God, last model right? I'm going to bring up, and then I'll I'll let you move on is. Uh, and I don't know these folks yet, but Fem Health is addressing a market. Um, I've heard you talk about the 60 million in the midst of menopause. There's nobody mm -hmm. dealing with that right now. Mm -hmm. Women have different kind of medical issues and, than men. And I think this Fem Health out of New York is sort of an interesting model to look at as a, a direct model. What do you think? I, I think the, you, you know, I've heard of Fem Health. I, I haven't interviewed them, but, uh, you know, I did interview Mitty 
And again, this is what's so striking about it. You know, here's this is a woman, uh, brilliant a lawyer, technologist, entrepreneur, was going through menopause. You know, getting the runaround, went from primary care to OB/GYN, you know, neurologist and psychiatrist, and all this sort of stuff. Spending so much money, finally spent a ton of money finding an expert in menopause who could take care of her and and relieved her symptoms. And then, you know, she's, she's an entrepreneur and she's like, well, you know, if I'm having this, what about anyone else? And all of a sudden she discovers, as you point out, oh yeah, there's 60 million women in America, 60 million women in menopause age who are suffering and there is no solution out there. And we have this generic peanut butter kind of care for them where it's like, you know, who do you go to? Like, really is your primary care doctor trained to diagnose or treat menopause? The answer is no. Um, even your OB-GYNs. Now, if you're lucky, you'll find an OB-GYN that, that is trained. By the way, how many hours of training does do OB-GYNs get in menopause? Um, I don't think a lot. And are, are they certified or is there staff? There's actually a certification you go through. And again, this is the whole thing about, I talk about in, in, in the middle part of the book, we have to start to segment and customize care. And this is, I, I didn't, I didn't include it in the book, that example of MIDI, but it is such a brilliant example of doing that. And so she created, and this is not as good as, this is so much better than anything that exists to date anywhere. I don't care what system you're in, who your doctor in, there's nothing I have ever heard of like this. If you're a woman who has menopause, you want to know about this or femtech or some, so many of the others that are they're now popping up, right? And it's it's great because the care is different, the expertise is different, and it's not just the individual, and it's complicated. Basically, it's online, so it's virtual care, and and it does not compete with doctors or hospitals. It complements them. They are very very clear about their business model. In fact, it actually helps business of OB guys because it it takes this off their plate, so they actually can see people who need their expertise um, and access is still a big problem in, in gynecology. And so it is complementary to gynecologists and to healthcare systems and to hospital systems, but they have a highly trained PA nurse who is, has been trained, certified in menopause. They have at their disposal, this is all online. They do, you know, pre-visit assessment with you. Then they have a visit. They have all this technology at their disposal. And behind that, they have a series of experts, not just experts, world, and I'm talking world-class experts in menopause from the best university hospitals in the country. Not only do they have this cadre of experts they can call on in real time, like through a Slack channel. So as they're seeing you, if there's a subspecialty question within menopause, they actually can contact someone, but they have multiple. I mean, I, I forget the number of subspecialists they have, but they have behavioral subspecialists. Then they have cancer oncology subspecialists, you know, on and on and on. And then they have protocols that they've been working on for years, uh, specific protocols of care. Who has this? Does your OB-GYN have this? Does your hospital system have this? Does your primary care doctor have this? No. And that's why this is so important. This improves care at a lower cost, much, much more conveniently. Uh, again, the answer is out there. We just need to find these positive deviants. We need to study them. We need to then um, expand them and scale them. And again, that's why I'm so hopeful. That's why I'm telling you, we have been in the dark ages. We're still in the dark ages of healthcare delivery, but I see the opportunity for a renaissance. And my book literally is the recipe for how we get out of the dark ages into the renaissance of American healthcare. Zev, conversations have sort of a momentum and momentum with you is always upward. There is no end to a conversation because you're such an interesting guy and a positive guy. 
and I think we share in common the same kind of listener people that are hopeful for change and see solutions out there. And I think this show, we've tapped some of them and we could do a whole nother show on what's going on in the hospital space and who's innovating there. But um, if folks want to reach you, Zev, how, what is the best way to find you? You know, I'm the worst self-marketer I know. Um, I have a website, www.reframehealthcare.org. I think it is. I, I, I should double check it. Um, the best way, easiest way, quite honestly, is on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I, I'm constantly posting on LinkedIn. And if you message me on LinkedIn, uh, I will connect with you and I will respond. And if you could fly a banner over America with one simple message, what would that be? Listen. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you very much, Zev, for your time. And we'll look forward to our next visit. Oh, my God, Ron, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.